Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. This is our 200th episode of Be Brave at Work, and I am so honored and proud to have spoken with so many leaders, authors, professors, specialists, and average everyday people about bravery in the workplace. Over the past two and a half years, I have chatted with hundreds of guests about demonstrating bravery at work, avoiding bravery at work, and tips and lessons you should know to help you be braver at work in the future. I am thrilled that each of you have joined us along the way and that you continue to listen as we dig deeper and deeper into bravery at work. I also hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to bebraveatwork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, is now available in paperback, in audio, and electronically at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I am really excited to introduce two guests on Be Brave at Work this week. Karen Reed is the CEO of Speaker Dynamics. She is an Emmy award-winning broadcast journalist who now focuses on helping business professionals to be confident communicators on any platform, in person, on camera, or through virtual communication tools. And Joe Allen is a professor of industrial and organizational psychology at the University of Utah. His research tools are on the study of workplace meetings, organizational community engagement, and occupational safety and health. And together they have written a number of books, most, recent, most recently co-authors of Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work, and their most recent book, which I believe has been released this year, Suddenly Hybrid, Managing the Modern Meeting. So welcome to both Joe and Karen. And Karen, I'd love to start with you. And if you could tell us just a little bit more about how you are currently interacting in the marketplace. Absolutely, Ed. Thank you so much for having us here. And actually, Suddenly Hybrid came out on the coolest book release day ever, which was 2 2 <laughs> which we thought was really kind of a neat a neat uh, occurrence. Uh, so as mentioned, I'm a communication coach. I have a communication coaching firm. Uh, and my previous life was spent as a broadcast journalist. I worked primarily for NBC. And so I had this kind of special sauce in the communication coaching field where I focused a lot on video communication, uh, but I've been in the game for over a decade uh, teaching mainly executive leadership teams how to communicate well through a camera, but then COVID hit 
And suddenly I went from training the executive leadership team to training the entire enterprise. So uh, that resulted in speaker dynamics needing to quickly scale so that we could meet the demands and help people to be able to navigate uh, doing business through a webcam. Fantastic, Karen, thank you so much. And how about you, Joe? Well, I'm a egghead scientist, and so I've <laughs> my engagement with the with the marketplace, as it were, is uh, is through the various research projects and research activities I do, and the consulting work that I do. I'm I'm the director of the Center for Meeting Effectiveness at the University of Utah, and so about half of my time is spent uh, on research related activities, and then the other half of my time is spent teaching, uh, whether it be students or people in the community uh, and organizations and helping them understand how to make their meetings more effective. I've been studying meetings for you know over a decade now uh, and I'm one of the uh, leading experts as it were when it comes to workplace meetings. And so I bring the science of meetings uh, to the conversation and, and Karen of course brings the, the practice of meetings, particularly when it comes to the new environment that we find ourselves in, which is these virtual and hybrid meeting uh, environments. Well, one of the reasons I love speaking with you both today is because when we think about bravery at work, one area of interest for most of our listeners is public speaking. And we have all heard these statistics that, you know, public speaking is more feared than death and, you know, things of that nature. And then also the need to be braver at meetings. And oftentimes something happens or I'm experiencing something. And through my uh, corporate career, we rarely spoke up and said, hey, can I asked the meeting to pause for a second. I'd like to make an observation or share something with everyone. We kept it to ourselves. And then we talked about it at the water cooler and nothing ever happened. And then we experienced it again and it just became this endless cycle. So, you know, Karen, I'd love to start with you. And when you think about public speaking and communicating effectively and certainly the unplanned and unexpected addition of hybrid learning, you know, what are some of the thoughts or experiences that your, your clients are feeling? Well, there definitely was uh, an exponential adoption of, of video as a communication medium, uh, whether it was by force or by choice. Uh, and that was by force. Right, right. And that was interesting to see from my vantage point, just because I've been teaching these skills for so long. And uh, a lot of times I would ask, I would begin any sort of virtual communication training uh, with a question, how often do you turn your webcam on? And I would give the option of saying never always or only when I see everyone else doing it. And the most common answer I got for a long time was never. They would never turn the webcam on. Today, uh, now I never get never. <laughs> I always get either always or only when I see everyone else doing it. So there is at least an understanding that there is value to having the camera on but most people don't really like it. <laughs> but what I try to help people to understand is it's not about performing to the camera, it's about being able to communicate in full. And if you remove video, you are really sacrificing having a richer experience because audio alone only gives half of the story. Uh, you know, your video allows you to communicate through your body language and people can understand the intent of your message so much easier. And if they have their cameras on, then you can read the impact of your message on them. So it's really a critical piece, but it is an act of bravery <laughs> to turn that camera on. And still, I did a, a workshop yesterday and I would say that, that half of them did not turn their camera on. 
Uh, I wasn't in a position where I could mandate them to do so, but but recognizing that it still is a barrier to entry for people to actually turn the webcam on is really important to, to understand. So, you know, one of the great joys is, you know, my job is to give people confidence uh, and demystify, you know, using what can really be a very powerful way to connect. Absolutely. I have done online training as well. And oftentimes I wish the organization had a requirement that everybody's camera was on for all the reasons that you're suggesting, Joe, and your book suddenly hybrid and then the work that you're doing, you know, do you recommend and expect that people put their camera on, right? Is that a, you know, yeah, I mean, or a requirement we, for people? Yeah, we actually spend an entire chapter in our new book, suddenly hybrid, because when we wrote suddenly virtual, we basically said, turn your camera on everybody. Um, and, and not that that was a, the wrong thing to say, because it was the right thing to say at the time, and I think to some degree it still is really good advice. But we, we started to talk a little bit more about context and situations and how well you know your team and can you can you hear their sarcasm or do you have to see their eye rolls and things of that nature. And so trying to understand when is it really truly absolutely essential, like you've never met this person and so you need to see them to be able to understand what they're trying to say or are these people that you know so well – that you don't even have to hear the, hear them on sometimes to know what they're thinking, right? Uh, so that that came out a lot uh, in, in our in our suddenly hybrid book, and we also learned that in, in, when talking about this, you know, a concept of bravery, we learned that there were two things that were extremely essential for effective uh, hybrid meetings, and for that matter, virtual meetings, and that's being both seen and heard. Right. And yeah, we could talk about, oh, you need to have a good camera, you need to have a good audio, but you also, as a meeting leader, have to facilitate participation by your people. And you as an attendee have to be brave enough to step in and say something, right? To communicate. Uh, even when the leader, for some reason, doesn't ask for your input, be willing to do that, right? Uh, and that's, that's hard. That's hard for a lot of people, and that's hard for a lot of reasons, right? Some, you know, and part of that is hierarchy. Some of that's uh, women and men in the workplace. Some of that's race. But we have to, in order for the meeting to be effective, truly engage both the leaders and the attendees. Uh, and, and doing that does that, you know, in many cases require an act of bravery to put yourself out there and to be a little bit vulnerable. And it's really up to our organizations and our leaders to make it so that way we, that vulnerability is lessened, right? Make it a psychologically safe environment to feel comfortable to put yourself out there. So that way the barrier to being brave and to putting yourself out there is is lessened. Uh, so that way the the creativity and the innovation that we really desperately need in our organizations is is available to us even in our meetings. Right. You're diminishing your impact and your presence, um, you know, if you don't have your camera on, whether it be in a virtual meeting or in a hybrid meeting, because you you will fade into the background a little bit uh, if you're not visually represented. Uh, and it, it's not the meeting leader's fault <laughs> if you have your camera off that they forget to call upon you. Uh, you know, you are making it harder for them to remember you're there. Uh, and, and that's a really critical component. Well, I think it might be the modern version of the people at a training program when we met live who used to sit always at the back. I think I think they hoped to disappear into the ether and not be known or seen to get called. You know, no one ever sits up front, right? So I think not putting your camera on is another way of potentially hiding. And I, I agree with you, Karen. I do think for some people, it is an act of bravery to put your camera on. And I worked at a large client last year in the Boston area, 
And they had shifted to almost always being virtual in respect to meetings. And they, in fact, sent out a notice to their employees that because we're doing so many virtual meetings, you can't turn your camera off. You know, people are so tired of being seen on camera that they gave them, you know, the blessing to say, look, if you don't want to have your camera on, that is okay. And, you know, that for a presenter, obviously, for the hour that I'm with you or the hour and a half is impactful, right? Because I don't know about all the other stuff that you've been doing and I need you there. I want to see you. I want to see your reaction, et cetera. Well, and that speaks to the context that Joe was talking about. I mean, there are times when, like, for example, if you're in a meeting with 100 people, you don't need to have everybody's camera on if it's just a matter of them sharing information with you uh, and you aren't expected to interact and participate. But if you're in a small meeting and and it's supposed to be collaborative, uh, then everybody needs to be fully invested, fully involved and fully present. Uh, and so having that across the board dictate that it's okay to turn your camera off is really setting you back uh, and, and potentially creating some inequities as well, because those who are more extroverted perhaps might have their camera on all the time and they might be able to dominate the conversation more. Um, and you're not getting all of the opinions from everyone on your team and your decision that you ultimately make could be diminished. Well, I think there are two activities that most people would think about when they think about, you know, hybrid work and operating virtually. One is whether your camera is on or off. And of course, if your camera is off, most of the stories that people create are negative, right? It's not, wow, they must be really busy, et cetera. It's they don't want to be seen. They're not there. Uh, I don't even know if you're there or not, right? Uh, you know, we break, we break people up into breakouts. And I hope the people are there that we're connecting them to because that would be awkward. And then the second is focus. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, you can see their hands moving and their eyes are reading something and it's clear that they are not 100% there. So Karen, I'm just wondering in the work that you're doing and talking with clients, you know, how do you conversationalize this idea of focus and attention and setting aside other technologies and really focusing on the meeting you're at? Well, we just speak to the how consequential it is if you're not fully invested. Uh, and Joe would even, you know, probably speak to the fact that if you have one bad meeting, at least, what, three more meetings, Joe? Is that the, the metric? Uh, so if you are not maximizing your time in that meeting, which means that you're giving it its full attention, uh, then you're going to probably create more meetings on your calendar that is probably already overstuffed with meetings. Uh, so, you know, make that time well spent, uh, you know, set aside whatever else you were hoping to do. Multitasking is a myth. You cannot multitask. Uh, so invest the time that is set aside, but it's also up to the meeting leader and organizer to make sure that the meeting that they are creating um, makes sense, has an agenda, has an agenda that actually fits into the size <laughs> that it was allocated for. Don't try to do five pounds of information in a 10 or 10 pounds of information in a five pound bag. You can't do it. Um, so it, there's a lot that goes into meeting design, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> the thing I would add to that is, you know, about 90% of people, um, I'm not going to call it multitasking because you said multitasking doesn't exist, but alternatively task <laughs> uh, <laughs> during a meeting. They're 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 there, but they're just sort of there, right? Uh, and that's that's the truth that we we divert our attention to our email or to the the, the thing that, that just came through our watch or any number of other devices that are beeping at us, right? Uh, and whenever that happens, it diverts your attention away from whatever's being said to you know 
other things. And so we, we hear this all the time in meetings, whether your camera's on or off, where someone says, hey, so as we were talking about, you know, Joe, what do you think about that? And Joe's like, uh, you were cutting out. Uh, <laughs> I didn't quite catch that question. Can you uh, back up and say that again? And what that really means is Joe was writing emails. Or Joe was checking out the the ESPN app, or Joe he was doing something else, right? Maybe not every single time, but about eighty yeah, percent of the time they were do they were doing something else, right, during the meeting because at that moment before they were doing that something else, they they felt as though the, the baton had been passed to someone who they weren't directly connected with in some way. So it, basically, they decided that it wasn't relevant, and so they they decided to do something to kind of keep up with the other tasks they're doing because their calendars exploded with meetings, and so because they've done that. They're not engaged, and then the, the meeting becomes less efficient, right? And then going back to what Karen said, that, that statistic that I, that I share all the time, which is one bad meeting causes three more meetings, that's what happens when you have to do those backup. Backup, okay, let's, let's get Joe back up to speed so he can answer the question. Well, now the meeting that should have taken you know, 35, you know, 40 minutes or whatever now fills that hour. Right, and then you're now having to have future meetings to clarify the things that people missed because they were again engaging in other tasks. Yeah, there is no doubt that what you are currently experiencing with your clients is something we all experience, and it just feels like this transition to hybrid and virtual meeting participation is a huge learning curve, right? Because the pandemic hit us unexpectedly and we were unplanned for it. And if you had told me two years ago, I would be an expert on Zoom, I would have laughed and said, why? You know, I hardly ever use it. And <laughs> now I am a, an expert on Zoom. Uh, is it a huge learning curve? I mean, is this something that we need to spend more time and effort and focus on to get people to understand what it is yeah. that you're saying? I, to some degree, yes. To some degree, no. So the reality is if you were to just ask any random person what, how to make a good meeting, they'd likely rattle off half a dozen things that would actually help, like starting on time and ending on time and having a purpose or an agenda and making sure everybody gets a chance to talk. The problem is in action, we don't actually do it. <laughs> When we're actually in the environment, we don't do those things. But in addition to that, there is a learning curve. I think more so for hybrid than for virtual, right? And, and the reason that is is because when you think about a, high, a virtual meeting or you think about a face-to-face -face meeting, you have one medium that you're communicating through. You're communicating through audio and video or you're communicating through the air, one medium, right? You go to hybrid, and now you've got people in the room. You've got people maybe on audio. You've got people maybe on audio and video, and now you've got multiple mediums to try and manage. You can't. You, you've got to make sure you don't forget about the people who are on remote. You got to make sure that the people in the room don't dominate, and that's very easy. So the 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 reality is, people need to uh, have the the hardware, software, and the skillware to do these things effectively. Right, and so there is a, there is a learning curve, and that's that's why we wrote the the book, um, the suddenly hybrid and suddenly virtual, for that matter, because we wanted to get the information out there, so that way people wouldn't necessarily have to wait until they find a find the right podcast or find the right uh, webinar or whatever to to get their skills, but they could find this book potentially and, and get those skills that way, um, or at least learn about some of those skills that way, so that way they could do that. The other thing I would add is that. We, you know, we've kind of gotten into the bit of a negative spin on, oh, hybrid meetings are really tough and virtual meetings are kind of tough. But the one thing that we we found in the data that we used for our for our um, books is that hybrid is is the most inclusive form of meeting that is uh, that's out there because everybody can connect in whatever way they can, and it has the potential to be just as satisfying 
and effective as any of the other forms of meeting that we've had. Early adopters of, of hybrid meetings are actually meeting with success, which is wonderful. But that's because they're doing some of these right things we've been mentioning. So, Karen, I think you had a comment there. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think it's really important that uh, organizations don't miss out on the training component, uh, because if you go into a hybrid meeting without intention, without strategies in place, without the technology in place to support it, you will fail. Uh, and there is such a call for flexibility in the workforce. Hybrid meetings are inevitable. There's no way around it. You have to figure out how to make them work. And there are ways to do so, but you have to seek them out and you have to put them in place. No doubt that hybrid meetings are not only inevitable, but they're here, right? We have to operate in this new model uh, because, you know, going back to the time where uh, meetings were always in person and maybe there were one or two people on the phone, right, who would always be forgotten, as Joe said, uh, you know, because they're not there visibly, uh, you know, those days are past. So, Joe, you know, I'd love to end just with a quick question to you about meeting effectiveness, because uh, based on our research, uh, it is during meetings where many opportunities for bravery uh, occur, where I should say something or provide people feedback either at the meeting or after, and always do so respectfully. You know, what are some of your thoughts about uh, bravery at meetings? Is this a common occurrence where people don't say what they should say and or do what they should do? And <laughs> You know, any any yes. one or two tips uh, to help people move forward? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is uh, too often uh, we bite our tongues in our meetings when we really should share our ideas and opinions. And that's that's a there's a two sides of that coin, which you kind of mentioned earlier. There's whether or not the leader is inviting that. Right. Is the meeting leader allowing that to occur? And there's also the willingness of the participants to do that. But what I will say is some of the research that we've done looked at voice in meetings. And so this is the idea that uh, you feel comfortable to share your ideas and opinions without worry of repercussion. Uh, and you, you're, you're given a voice, as it were. And we found a very strong relationship between voice behaviors in meetings and meeting satisfaction and meeting effectiveness, as well as overall employee engagement. And so what that means is, is if we if we help foster an environment where bravery, you know, the, the barriers to bravery, the barriers to speaking up and saying something are reduced, we can actually have great things, you know, happen from our meetings. Our meetings may actually be less of a drain and more of a positive um, thing for our organization. And we do know that there are, there are stories you know, uh, the, uh, you know, historical, you know, stories that we we often think about or, or have talked about in our research. For example, like the Challenger disaster, where the problem was that no one spoke up in many meetings about their concerns about certain aspects of the engineering uh, related to how the, the the rocket would go up, and unfortunately, it it didn't work out. We have we have much more mundane experiences every single day, where people don't get the opportunity to share their voice. Uh, and share their thoughts, and then we and, and then we don't have as effective a meeting as we could. So yes, the research is very strong and very consistent in this in this area around bravery and voice in meetings. Well, I'd love to thank both of you for joining us on our podcast today. I think we could speak for hours on these topics, especially being virtual and being hybrid. But I encourage all of our listeners to check out, I would say, both of your books, even though one is more recent than the other. <clears throat> Excuse me. Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work, and Suddenly Hybrid, Managing the Modern Meeting. I think both of those are highly 
relevant to the workplace that people are experiencing today. So Karen and Joe, thank you both for joining us today. Ted, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.